Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. This is officially the, the first podcast of the Biden era because we're recording this like three minutes after the inauguration. Uh, but we're going to look back again at 2020. We're going to look back at hip hop in 2020. And to help guide us through the year, we have Jeff Ahiza, our new senior editor at Rolling Stone, who's guiding our rap coverage. Jeff, welcome. Hey, how are you, Ryan? I'm doing all right. I'm holding up. I'm grappling with our, our uh, hour of the new era. It has just dawned upon us, yes. <laughs> so we were going to start with, I think, Pop Smoke. It seemed at the beginning of the year like it was going to be Pop Smoke's year, and in some ways it was, but not in the, the way that it seemed like it was going to be. It was a, pretty much right away, I, I think around February 19th, the rapper at the moment was, was, was murdered, and yet uh, he had a song that became one of the defining songs of the year. Right. Um, you know, so going into the end of 2019, Pop Smoke was having, you know, the type of rise that I don't think anyone in hip-hop has seen in a really long time. And it was super exciting, not only because you have this guy from New York who's doing this thing, you know, in a city that hasn't really had a hip-hop superstar in a super long time, but he's also bringing in this, like, UK flavor that I think, again, was just very unique and very interesting to to audiences and to people around the world. And kind of in a flash, that all went away and that all ended when he was murdered. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, the the death of Pop Smoke set um, really set a different trajectory for hip-hop in 2020 because I think, as you said everything was pop smoke. Everything was supposed to be pop smoke. I think the other day a trailer just got released for the movie that he was going to be in this year. So, you know, I think once that happened, we kind of, and then, you know, shortly after that happened, COVID started and everyone went into lockdown and it seemed as though the year that should have been this huge moment for, you know, New York's scene for pop smoke, for everything in hip hop, everything just kind of went blank and got frozen. But then one of his songs ended up soundtracking a lot of protests. Yeah, and I mean, I think that speaks a lot to just how big of, of a movement he had on the ground in New York. So, you know, of course, during the the uprising in, in the spring and summer of last year, you know, the song Dior was heard throughout the streets. And I think that was, again, just a testament to this person's power with individuals and this person's power on, at a ground level with audiences. And, you know, you have a lot of political things going on at the same time with that, which is, you know, Pop Smoke never really got to play in New York because of a very interesting dynamic that we have here when it comes to the cost of insurance for certain types of genres versus the cost of insurance for other types of genres when it comes to live music, but then also literal police crackdowns on particular artists. So Pop Smoke's entire rise was kind of against a backdrop of a system that doesn't want artists like that to rise. And I think it's two sides of the same coin in that, you know, it was it, his, his death was extremely tragic and extremely, you know, surprising and something that just should not have happened. But it did create, you know, I think a galvanizing moment for people to see how important what he was doing was. Some people may not realize that for, you know, more than two decades the NYPD has kind of officially had it in for for rappers. I mean, there, there's literally a, a hip-hop police unit that goes back to at least the early 2000s, if not uh, the late 90s, at least. Right. It's wild, you know? So, And they basically have treated rappers as if being a rapper was a gang affiliation in itself. Uh, and this has just gone on and on, even, you know, whether it's a Republican mayor, whether it's a Democratic mayor, uh, it just keeps going. And that's part of the backdrop for 
what you're talking about with pop smoke. Right. And I mean, it's again, it's it points to a lot of interesting parts about everything that happened there and New York not having a you know major hip hop voice for so long. I mean, the last moment we had like this was, you know, Bobby Shmurda. And then very quickly, he was also arrested. So pop smoke sort of kicking off 2020 and then tragically passing far too soon is in a lot of ways the unfortunate dynamic that I think a lot of hip-hop fans have become used to, especially in the past few years. I mean, just the other day, we're celebrating the, you know, the birthday of Beck Miller, who passed away a few years ago, and, you know, Juice World passed away just a, still very recently in the past year. So it's kind of been a very fraught couple of years for, for hip-hop, I think. It's easy to forget. I almost forgot. I literally almost forgot this happened, but, you know, Kanye West tried to run for president this year, you know? <laughs> it's like... Kanye 2020, yes. Um, the ballad of Kanye West and his political leanings and, you know, it's, it feels now it's like it's been, you know, close to five years of him really kind of edging into this different zone of his, you know, because right after Trump was elected is when, you know, he went on the big rant and everything since then has kind of shifted. Yeah, Kanye West ran for president. There was a lot of really interesting stuff going on around that and like people's you know, signing petitions against him, but then it actually counting towards petitions for him and a lot of weird money stuff. Um, but Kanye was actually an interesting storyline this year because it, it's it's one of those storylines that simply would not let up. And I think it's it's got to say something about, about what we care about and what, you know, certain artists mean to us. And then Lil Wayne endorsed Trump and then got pardoned. And uh, I, I just, I feel like people... <laughs> People are just willing to let the almost let it go. It's just it, his heart just didn't seem to be in that endorsement. I don't know how you feel about it, but it just it just it didn't seem legit. Right. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing in rap in general, where I think we're seeing a generational split happen in real time. You know, it's like I'm sure we'll talk as we get into 2020 releases. You know, artists like Playboy Cardi and Lil Uzi Vert, who are on the younger end, doing things so radically different than a lot of these elder statesmen that we're talking about: Lil Wayne, Eminem, Kanye West. And I would argue that it, it stands to reason that, you know, a middle-aged millionaire celebrity would support Donald Trump in the end. You know, I think it, it almost makes sense as like hip hop evolves and gets older as a genre that you, we start to see these things happen where the older generation falls out of touch with what the younger generation really cares about. And then we should switch into things that actually were relevant that actually, <laughs> did, that, that, that actually did matter. You know, obviously a huge year for women, another in a series of huge years for women in rap. And, uh, you know, just a huge year for Megan Thee Stallion, who we've talked a lot about on the podcast. Yeah, I, th I think Megan Thee Stallion turned what was arguably one of the worst years in recent memory. Um, she was one of the few people who I think really created a bright spot in all of that. And I mean, that's you know, simultaneously as she's going through a, you know, a personal trauma of her own, you know, being the victim of a shooting and everything. And, you know, her storyline and the way that she carried herself through everything and with the release of good news, I think she really kind of set the groundwork for what being an artist in this new era looks like. And, you know, of course she's a female, you know, rapper, she's a female musician, and that is groundbreaking in its own right. But I think it's really important when we look at a lot of what women have done in rap music in the past year as, you know, it's not necessarily separate. I mean, it's certainly not separate from hip hop at large. And I think it, it really speaks more to just what it takes to be a relevant artist in 2020 and beyond. 
Yeah, break that down a little bit, because what did she do that kind of exemplified the way you become a big artist now? I, I mean, I think first and foremost, the way she used social media and the way that she engaged with her fans on social media. And I think it's endemic, I think, to the way in the I'm overstepping a little bit. I think it's endemic to the way, uh, you know, women musicians and, you know, women in the public eye tend to be on social media. I think there's just a little bit more care taken into it. Mm. And I'm sure that comes with the fact of just being visibly a woman and being visibly a black woman on, you know, the public Internet creates a different dynamic that you have to navigate. And I think that engenders in itself kind of better tools to engage with your fans. And I think one of the things Megan Thee Stallion did so well this year was keeping people apprised of even the small things going on with her, her dogs. And, you know, she would make these little videos and she would do Instagram lives. And I think, you know, she really was good at captivating her audience and also speaking to them at a level that they felt like they knew her. And, you know, for an artist as big as she was last year, and you contrast that with someone like, let's say, Drake, who even now, you know, very rarely posts on social, very rarely comes out and speaks or gives interviews or talks to anyone. I think, you know, the dynamic for male rappers for the past decade has been this cloud of mystery, right? Where it's like the male rap auteur who's tucked away somewhere and you'll never hear from them until they're ready to drop their, you know, magnum opus or whatever. And they it's just so self-serious, right? And I think with an artist like Megan Thee Stallion, it was like you got to be a part of the fun. Uh, you got to be a part of everything that she was doing and everything that she was about. And I think that's just the way things are now. I think that's, call it Gen Z, call it TikTok or whatever you want to call it. That's just the way people engage with the world now. So I think as a musician and as someone who's such a big, you know, has had such a big impact on rap music in such a short time, she's really setting the groundwork for how I think everyone's going to have to behave pretty soon. Being good, I'm a bad bitch. I'm sick of motherfuckers trying to tell me how to live. Black holes hate under my pictures on the ground. I was blown away by a lot of what she did. I love Girls in the Hood so much because it's pretty unusual this late in the game in, in 2020, now 2021, to throw back to history that blatantly and to flip history that blatantly. I really enjoyed the, both the respect for the past there and also the total gender flip of a, of a sometimes misogynistic group. The other thing about her, and I've talked about this before, is just I wonder when she makes something like Body how conscious she is of how much those things are going to kill on TikTok. Kind of to the last point, I think that is increasingly something that labels and artists and everyone in that realm is aware of, I'm sure. I think Megan Thee Stallion makes music that is without trying to or without you know manufacturing it it just naturally is perfect for a platform like tiktok you know tiktok is all about rhythm it's all about dancing and when you have someone like megan who that is her that is her gift um i, I think it just always is going to hit um but yeah I, I don't know how how anyone could have anticipated just how big that song got what's well, also like if you're just embedding constant hooks into the music you can have a song she has songs where multiple bits of songs have become their own tiktok memes uh, you know that you have songs right, that have been right. broken up into four different parts all of which have their own meme their own dance it's wild uh she's just yeah. really good at that whether she's trying to or not uh, it could be just if you make music that's good enough it just tra it's, it translates without even trying which i i can't help but think uh that's the case 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. There was some disturbing sort of sexism in the uh, in the in the initial reaction to when she was shot. It feels like it feels like some people took it a little too lightly, and then it kind of turned around, and 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 there was a backlash to that initial reaction. It seems like right. I mean, I think it just it's it's part of a you know the ongoing culture war, if you will. And I think especially when it comes to to rap fans, when it comes to rap fans on the internet, I think there is such a like baked in element of meme culture, a baked in element of everything is jokes or everything is up for grabs when it comes to making fun of something that that situation really highlighted, you know, certain levels of misogyny for sure. And also just levels of, you know, violent ideation. I think, you know, this, this thinking that, Oh, like getting shot is like a badge of honor or something is, is really actually not true for anyone who's been shot. I mean, we started this podcast talking about the death of pop smoke and I think, especially on the hip hop internet, people can forget that these are real lives that we're talking about. And it's not just this like movie that we're all watching. Well said. The other thing among the many things that happened was little baby obviously had a huge moment. It took him all the way to the cover of Rolling Stone. What did you make of the year he had? Yeah, he was another one who really, I mean, capitalize always feels like such a bad word to use for <laughs> artists, but he, he was someone who, you know, saw the world around him and really figured out his place in it. I think, the, you know, the biggest moment for me for him was, you know, during the protest and he puts out that video. And I think it's still something that people reference and talk about, like, that's what artists should do. That's how an artist could handle a moment like that. And I think, you know, for someone like Lil Baby, was who was already having a huge year, who was already, you know, collaborating with everyone top of the charts for him to kind of take that moment and be like i'm gonna do something that is just for the sake of a good thing i think that really put him over the top as you know an artist for the new era that we're entering and on the same label which is uh, quality control in atlanta and we had the founders of that label on on the show uh, not long ago is city girls and we were just talking about them in uh, in the albums of the year episode but just a really distinctive group who, who also had a had a huge year. I mean, they also you know responded quite well to the moment. Um, I I think in the list of my favorite music videos of the year, I had their their video in which they kind of do the OnlyFans uh, send up, if you will. And yeah, I think City Girls. You know, since you know my exposure to City Girls starts with with their Drake collaboration, which is an embarrassing thing to admit. But I think, you know, they have really done a good job at honing in on what they're doing. And, you know, we talk about women in hip hop. We talk about, you know, the growing audience of women in hip hop. And I think CD Girls is a really good example of why pigeonholing women in this industry is a bad idea. Because you look at someone like Megan Thee Stallion, you look at Cardi B, and you look at CD Girls, and you have three very distinct artists doing their own thing in each lane. So it's really interesting to see them kind of take off in the direction that they've taken off in. And let's talk about Lizzie Vert, who had a very big album last year. Um, yeah, it, it was a very interesting thing because I, if I remember correctly, it was right around the start of the pandemic when everything was locked down. And 
The world seemed as strange as it could possibly seem, as though up was down and down was up. And sure enough, Lil Uzi Vert's long-awaited eternal take <laughs> appeared on the internet. You know, Uzi and, you know, similarly Playboy Cardi have, you know, these very, very rabid fan bases that for the several years now have been doing everything they could to create snippets and, and turn Instagram live sessions into, you know, full audio mixes that they can then listen to on their own. So to hear a full project from Lil Uzi Vert after so many years of it existing as like a mythological <laughs> creation <laughs> was really interesting. And I mean, he, and he certainly delivered, you know, and then shortly after released the the deluxe edition, which had, you know, several leaks that people had been anticipating full versions of for a really long time. And, you know, I think out of every new-ish rapper in the, in the game right now, I think Lil Uzi Vert is probably the most, he's the most secure, I feel like, with the releases he had this year, starting with Eternal Take and then the future collaboration. And there are already rumors of a Travis Scott collaboration coming down the road. I think he is he is firmly in his bag, for for lack of a better term. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him with Future, who's uh, one of my enduring favorites of the past decade or so. Uh, what did you make of that kind of encounter, that collaboration? You know, it's actually really interesting to me because I feel like, and you know, I'm a as big a Future fan as anyone. I have followed his ascent since you know the early early mixtape days. But I think as he gets a little bit up there, maybe not even just in age, but as his career is the time that he's been in rap expands, you know, he's he's always looking for ways to kind of stay fresh and stay dynamic. You know, he had the tape with Juice World a while ago, and I felt like that tape was a bigger deal for him than it was for Uzi, which is mm-hmm. a very interesting dynamic to to find yourself in where you have this artist who is, you know, maybe been making music for half as long as you. And yet, you know, you're you're at this point in your career and he's at this point in his career where, you know, Future being on an Uzi tape is a better look for Future than Uzi being on a Future tape. Not to say either is better than the other, but I think if you talk about whose fan bases are more engaged, whose fan bases are more likely to stream and to buy stuff and to go on, you know, go to the show in the world in which we can go to shows... I think Future knows that there's a lot to tap into with Uzi's fan base. It's actually wild to realize that Future is now 37. That said, I think he's actually doing a pretty as good a job as as one could do of of staying relevant. But it takes that work. It takes exactly it takes right. Work. And I mean, Future showed up on a lot of records this year that were really interesting. You know, I think one of my favorite Future collaborations of the year was um, his his song with Lil Yachty. Uh, pardon me. He does. It never feels like you're watching someone who is too old to be doing what they're doing. Like even when he shows up on tapes with these younger rappers, he's playing his part. You know, he's doing what he knows these rappers are influenced by. So it's a very nice dynamic. It, it never feels as sad as like some of the times you see older rappers kind of try <laughs> to be young, and it's like, oh god. Yes, I, I did his cover story. It was already four years ago, and it, it does feel because of the speed at which hip hop in particular moves it it feels like at least twice as long but he's still he's still there and he he has that savviness of right he's he'll he'll grab the right collaboration at the right time still so but i think you're right it was bigger at this at that moment it was bigger for him with uzi there were there was various times people thought he might be retiring and stuff like there was a, he's always been a little bit el- elusive Right. I mean, it's a very funny thing to hear, you know, a 22-year-old rapper talk about retiring, but <laughs> that's the world we're in. I don't know exactly how old Uzi is, but, you know, I think he, he's been talking about retiring since 
for at least the past three years. So it's, it's very funny to think about the mythology that exists around some of these guys who are so, so young still. And he's very good at forming that mythology, obviously. And he, he's 26, yeah. So he was, he was probably, yeah, 23 when, he's, when his initial uh, retirement threat came through. But all that stuff is, is super effective. And, and it is. And there isn't just one strategy. It's like you were, you were, talking, about, you were talking about the Megan Thee Stallion strategy versus male rappers who, who, who buy their time. And obviously what, what Uzi's done has is, is really worked for him, you know. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, artists like Uzi, I mean his fans live and die for his Instagram lives, you know, and Mm. he just shows up in his car and he's playing songs. And, you know, I think his level of engagement with his audience is still, you know, he's, he's a little bit more of a digital native in that way where it's almost purely ephemeral on the internet where you've got a guy like Kendrick Lamar, who I don't, what does he do? Where has he been? You know, (laughs) there's certainly an album coming. There's certainly music coming. He's certainly a musician who works, but I think it's such a different way of doing things when you kind right. of that's more yourself. Right. He operates in a, a truly old school way, like a like a 70s artist who disappears right. between albums and you don't hear a, a damn thing that he's doing. I mean, you don't even see a picture of him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, Kendrick Lamar can come out tomorrow with a new record <laughs> and he's got a whole new hairdo. He's inches taller or something. You know, it's going to be a completely different person. <laughs> He's six feet tall. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah so it's definitely the new, that's how you know it's the new era. Yeah. I mean, that, that is something to talk about. I mean, we know for a fact that he's working on a record uh, and he's been working on a record for some time, but, but, uh, and it, it seemed like it was probably supposed to come out last year. I don't know if it was delayed because of the pandemic or delayed because he's recording another hundred tracks to pick from probably both. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's an interesting one for me because I, I imagine in a moment like last summer and last spring when you know, the entire country was wrapped up in a conversation about race and policing. And you have someone like Kendrick who has been such an integral figure in discussing these issues in a public way, especially in the music industry. Part of me felt like, oh, this is a perfect time for him to release a record or to do whatever he's been doing or, you know, just say something. But, you know, as you mentioned with these guys, I think there is an air of you know, 70 style auteurship where they're really honing in on whatever it is they're going to be doing. Um, if I had to guess, I think he has probably recorded upwards of a hundred songs and might still be recording a few hundred more before we hear anything from him. Um, but I think, you know, as we've seen with a lot of musicians who we've been waiting on records from, you know, I don't think he's going to come out with 15 songs and then go disappear. I think we're going to get, you know, a full length album, a deluxe album, a little mini project, a document, you know, we're going to get a lot of content when, when he does decide. There's actually, there's rumors that the album is, is rock influenced. So we'll see what that, what that means. Everyone's uh, coming out with rock albums right now. Very interesting. <laughs> well, that could mean anything though. I mean, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think it's going it, to, it'd be pretty funny if it was like, if it was basically a Limp Bizkit album though, I think that would be perhaps a, a surprise a bit too far, just, just stretching it a bit too far, but you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And then someone else who I think people expected an album from was was Drake. What happened there? Right. I think for a long time, Drake's record was supposed to come out in 2020. Um, And I think that one's a little bit more straightforward. In my opinion, it seems like an artist like that, touring is such a big part of, you know, everything that they do. I I just feel like, and and I think this is true for a lot of artists last year who didn't come out with albums. It's like, you know, you're going to drop something in the middle of a global pandemic and then not tour it for another year. That just seems like not the smartest way to do things. So, yeah, I think we got Dark Lane demo tapes. We got Drake's, you know, classic way of releasing records of starting with Lucy's and starting with a little mixtape. 
um, it was interesting to me that you know none of the moves that Drake made in 2020, starting with Tusi Slide and his little you know not very little but very extravagant architectural digest spread of his of his house. Um, going into Dark Lane demo tapes, you know, none of these moments really hit in the way that I think you'd expect them to for an artist like Drake. So I thought that was one of the most, I mean, call it disappointing dynamics. But then I think of um, Laugh Now, Cry Later, and I think that was so, that was very classic Drake. But yeah, for a year in which there was so much controversy, so much talk, so much drama across across the board in every in every facet of music, especially hip hop. For Drake to have been as quiet as he was is very interesting. Well, Tusi Slide, to take it back to the beginning, was the way people reacted to it was that it, a lot of people said it felt forced, that it was, that he was, for the first time, you could really feel him kind of trying a little too hard. And that it was, it was kind of, I think people were like, you know, that it seemed engineered to try to become a TikTok thing, which is exactly, if you're talking about exactly the opposite of someone like Megan, who seems to do that without even trying. Well, right. And I think, I mean, it points to kind of what I was mentioning in that, you know, the dynamics of fandom are changing, whether or not the artists who have, you know, had these long prolific careers up to this point, like it or not. And so, you know, a a situation like 2C Slide is it didn't feel desperate to me. It definitely didn't feel like it was Drake's natural position. But, you know, at the same time, it makes total sense to identify as, you know, one of the biggest celebrities in the world that, oh, kids are doing this now. I've got to figure out some way to engage them on that level. And to be fair, on repeat li- listens, 2C Slide I kind of like it. I bad. like it. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> what else is worth saying about this state of Drake? Because it felt, I mean, I think it's, it's unresolved because we don't really know until we hear... It just wasn't the year it was supposed to be. So I don't think we can really say where things are at until we hear that album, which, right. uh, which he, he, dro- he did drop the title. He dropped the title in August. No album. Right. We, but, got, but we got certified a nice level. Yeah. dramatic you know, album trailer from Drake, which gives me hope as a Drake fan because it means he's, he's back in his feelings. <laughs> has, has he ever left his feelings? <laughs> yeah, I think every time he tries, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> He's a permanent resident of his feelings, I, I would argue. But <laughs> long story short, is I don't think we're even close to being able to count Drake out, although it feels like there's people who, who want to go there with him, who want to kind of I mean, try to count you him know, out. Since, he's, since he came out, people have been trying to take him down. Not me, though. <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever been a moment of uh, question faith in him, or have you been kind of a, a fan all the way through? Well, I think that what's interesting about Drake's fans is that it's not necessarily cool to like Drake, or at least to publicly like Drake. I don't think anyone out here is like, oh, yeah, everyone in the world is just like big. You walk, you walk around and see guys just loving Drake. <laughs> like, it's just not, it's like, you're kind of supposed to pretend you don't like Drake, if anything. <laughs> um, so I feel like, you know, as a Drake fan, it's like, you don't ever really come into it with being like, oh, he's he's lost it or something. Because it does seem like a kind of personal fandom or personal relationship. And I mean, he raps about this all the time where it's like he makes music for people to get into their own feelings with. So it's like, even if Drake puts out a bad album, if he puts out the perfect breakup jam, like, I'll be there with him. Jeff, I wanted to take a broader look. I mean, it obviously was quite a year. Huge moment for Black Lives Matter, uprising across the country, a pandemic across the country. In the largest sense how did hip-hop deal with this wild and sometimes very dark year 
Yeah, I mean, I think across the board in in the the space of culture, you saw a much different engagement with issues of social justice and, you know, calling things by their name. I think, you know, we've definitely in this country seen a number of flashpoints and moments in which the issue of police brutality has arisen or the issue of white supremacy or the issue of, you know, systemic racism. But I think this year, you know, and probably because of the pandemic, this was the first time that I think it became across the board normalized to talk about this stuff and be open about it. You know, I think something that I I probably enjoyed the most this year was seeing Cardi B kind of transform or something into a a full-fledged political commentator. I think she did a really good job at contextualizing what mattered to, you know, her constituents, right, her fans, and to the young, often people of color who listen to her and Mm. and to really give voice to a, a political viewpoint, you know, and, and give people a sense that, you know, there's, there's stuff that we need to do. I think even when you look at what happened in Georgia just a few weeks ago of, you know, a very historic win for Democrats in that state, you know, a lot of that had to do with mobilization from musicians and from hip hop musicians and from athletes and things like that. So I think a heartening sort of through line narrative throughout the past year has been finally, we're, we're talking about this stuff. We're no longer doing the thing of, you know, maybe halfway putting your foot into saying something kind of progressive or kind of radical. It's I was seeing major musicians with gigantic platforms talking about defunding the police. And I think that is a huge, huge step forward. And it feels like it's not something that could ever be limited to one year. Once that door is broken down, it feels like that level of discourse has to continue within the genre and elsewhere. It would be it would be insane, you know, if we found ourselves having a similar conversation in the culture this year or in the next few months, and suddenly all the artists who were very loud last year went quiet. I think that's, you're exactly right. You know, now that people have have put their stake in the ground, there's no going back. It's going to be interesting, again, when Kendrick comes out, uh, because he has been a voice on these issues. Sometimes he's been a contrarian voice in some ways. Sometimes he'll say something that that is a little surprising or a little controversial. But at a time, he in the past, it wasn't in an atmosphere when so many other artists were speaking up. So I think that's it's just going to be interesting. And he may end up talking about, he may be on some internal shit for all we know. He may be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he may be talking about something very different. He may be talking about his own life and totally surprise people. I'm, I'm very, it makes me all the more curious to see where he's going to be. Yeah, I think it won't be expected. Whatever we get from him won't be what we think we're getting. Maybe let's turn our eyes to 2021. What are you most looking forward to? Um, I mean, as we talked about, I think Drake's record is top of mind for me. I'm hoping that it comes out sooner than later because that to me is, I think, what will set the course for how we we look at hip-hop this year. Hmm. Um, But beyond that, I think... You know, I'm very, I'm very curious about what might happen with this Travis Scott Lil Uzi rumor. I think that's a combination that we really haven't seen yet, and it could be actually very interesting. I think, you know, Playboy Cardi, who's someone we haven't really touched on just yet, I think he had such a spectacular release. Whether or not all of his fans love it, I think, you know, the, the level of commitment that he made to this new aesthetic, this new kind of vibe that he's all about, I think is really exciting. And I think whatever he does for the, for the next year is going to be 
it's going to be copied by other musicians pretty soon. And I think that's really exciting to think about. Yeah, I was going to jump back to that. But since you mentioned him, <laughs> right before the the year ended, like literally on cr- Christmas. The um, buzzer beater. <laughs> but a total buzzer beater. Uh, here's the very long delayed Playboy Cardi album, which you loved. Some people really hated at first and then turned around to love. Some people still hate. Uh, it was it was a polarizing and experimental and interesting uh, album. Yeah, I think what we've seen and, you know, it's probably a bigger theme that touches on everything from the past year is hip hop is increasingly just the genre. It's just music. I think if you were to talk to kids who are, you know, younger than 16 right now, they wouldn't see hip hop as this like specific genre and be like, oh, I'm boom bap or this or that. You know, they just see rap (laughs) as what everyone in the world listens to all the time. And I think what's really interesting about that dynamic is now you have artists like Playboy Cardi who are really taking what that means to a different scope entirely. Like, I don't think Playboy Cardi has, like, the biggest punk bona fides out of any musician that talks about punk music. But I do think that what he's doing and bringing that experimentation into, you know, the rap context is really shifting what listeners think of the boundaries that have existed between genres for so long. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing about his music. And also, I mean, he ends the album with a Bonnie Vare sample, And to me, you just can't beat that. (laughs) You know, you would not think Bonnie Fair would have had a big 2020, but between, you know, Taylor Swift and and Playboy Cardi, like Bonnie Fair just will not go away. Yeah, he is quietly the king of everything. (laughs) It's weird. Whether he's doing his low voice, whether you're sampling his high voice, you don't, I mean, it's just, he just, he's covering. He's got it all. He's got the range. He's got the range. He's covering all vocal ranges, all genres. He's just the, yeah, he's the quiet quiet king of everything that's that's interesting you think that you think that people are going to be jumping on some of the trends that uh, playboy cardi established oh absolutely because already what's going on in the realm of you know internet rap you know the hyper pop genre you think about bands like 100 gex and stuff like that Mm -hmm. i think there's already been an interest in a lot of mainstream musicians in tapping into whatever that energy is and i think when you look at what playboy cardi just released it actually graphs onto that quite nicely I think, you know, by the end of 2021, we're just going to be going to rap shows and it's going to be indistinguishable from like noise shows. (laughs) It's a little bit of the evolution of the beginning of the SoundCloud era, too, I guess, which had some of that punk rock energy. Right, right. And and those really, really distorted drums that sounded like they were made on broken computer speakers. Exactly. Uh, It's sort of a a, a much more elegant and developed uh, version of that and it's sort of was i mean it's interesting because again like i can't remember nothing made me want to listen to it more than when when some people were immediately like this is you know within minutes of the release were like this is trash i was like oh i need to (laughs) right uh, right i'm I'm definitely putting this on right now when the reactions are that strong it means that the artist did something that's right and then well to go back to the year ahead what else what else are you looking for what do you see happening (laughs) <laughs> predict predict uh, this whole year for us, please. I, I genuinely think the the punk sound is going to be a pretty dominant force in in what we listen to in hip hop. I think we're probably going to see a lot more. I think we're going to see a lot more emotion in rap. I think uh, the past few years has been all about you know songs that address mental health, songs that address different issues that people face personally. And I think 
that is going to be an inc- a bigger dynamic in 2021, mainly because as we get out of this pandemic, which I hope we do get out of, we're going to be faced with a world full of people who just spent a year by themselves. And I think we're going to have a lot of music that addresses that in really different ways. Who are kind of the, the baby artists that came up in 2020 that you're looking at for this year? Mm. I think 2020 was a hard year to be a new artist. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who have been vying for some notoriety. I think a lot of eyes have been on Detroit. I think uh, there's this group out there called Shitty Boys that I think are really interesting. Um, I think the one guy's name is Babytron. Hmm. But I'm actually really interested in what's going on in Houston. I think there's a lot of interesting rap going on out there that's actually a lot more experimental than what I what most people are used to when they think of that city you know off the top of my head I think of guys like baby Cody Tisa Korea who really just sound kind of strange for lack of a better term it's mm. like it's, it's music that is is very different it's out there and I think as we enter into whatever this new future that we're in is <laughs> it's like it's like I always think of like sci-fi movies when you know there's like teens listening to music and it just sounds like complete craziness right like that's genuinely what i think we're headed towards (laughs) and before we wrap up just personally are there a few underrated artists or underrated albums or that that you just personally loved that the world might not be as familiar with uh in 2020 i can't i'm trying to think if there was anything that slipped under the radar i feel like people are so hungry for music nothing went unchecked i will say i don't despise jack harlow as much as i think most people do <laughs> that's weird i was just about to bring him up I, I do i do think that when rap caviar puts him on and there's like four jack harlow songs and in, in ten, i'm like this is not what i'm going to to rap caviar for but uh he's all right <laughs> Like, no, I really wish like the apps and stuff hadn't really found him and he was just some like kid doing his thing because that would have been way more fun for him. I think it's so he got so big that it's like, okay, you're clearly a this is clearly something that you guys want me to hear. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's exactly right. If it wasn't being pushed on people or seeming to be pushed on people, it'd be like, oh, it's actually kind of good. But when it's thrown at you this hard, you're just like, a, it, it, it's a little off putting. But yeah, no, I mean, he's he's not without talent i think it's fair to say right um and we started by talking about it you you, you wrote a, a one of your first acts at rolling stone was to talk about how disappointing the uh, eminem second effort was you know and, and you learned that eminem still has uh you might even say stands uh out there <laughs> ready to to take you on which is i you know it is what it is i guess yeah i mean i have a lot of respect for people who are who are devout followers of of anything i think you know it doesn't change how I feel about the record, but I, I feel for them, you know? I'm I'm a Phoebe Bridgers stan, so if anyone were to talk <laughs> reckless about Phoebe Bridgers, I would probably send them reckless emails, too. <laughs> and finally, before we run, any just your top five albums of the year across genres, whether rap or oh, anything cr- else. Um, well, I have to... In no, in no particular order, um, I think the rapper Navy Blue is coming out with really, really extraordinary music right now. His debut came out last year. It was called Ada Irene. Um, that was a very special record to me. Uh, obviously, Phoebe Bridgers, my girl. <laughs> um, I thought that was one of the best things that, that happened musically last year. Uh, even going into like freakier genres, I think Moody Man put out uh, an album that was really cool last year. Nice. Uh, obviously, Playboy Cardi. I think that was a record that I actually came to a lot uh, randomly. I was like, oh, this I actually love this. And then 
I think Lil Uzi Vert's Eternal Take, the deluxe edition especially, I think, got me through a lot of boring quarantine days. Was that five or was that four? That felt like five. (laughs) Yeah, that feels right. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, thank you, man. All right. So that was today's episode. Thanks so much to Jeffy Haza. I'm Brian Hyatt. This has been Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a nice review on iTunes if you can. It's always appreciated. But as always, stay safe out there, and we will definitely see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord! We get it! They have chemistry! Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.